Well, good evening and shalom. And I want to welcome everybody that's uh, viewing this online, but especially I have a shout out to you guys, Calvary Chapel Sebastian. I can't see you, but I know you're watching, so thank you for joining us. It's going to be exciting tonight. We're going to talk about something we've never done before, Passover Seder, the history, the tradition, the symbolism, and how it points to Jesus. Uh, it's going to be a little different service. I'm not one of your regular pastor teachers, so it's not going to be a regular verse-by-verse -verse teaching. It's going to be more topical, but I hope you'll find it interesting. You don't have to take notes. All you have to do is fasten your seatbelts and hold on. Um, let me introduce myself to those of you who don't know me. As Pastor Dave said, I am a Jewish Christian or a Jewish follower of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was Jewish. Um, all my ancestors are Jewish as far back as I can go. Uh, my DNA says that I come from Israel, the Middle East, uh, Central and, and Eastern Europe, uh, and even a little bit of North African Sephardic Jews. There is one ancestor who's, when I did the DNA test, who snuck in like six generations back. And I have 1.6% Irish, Scottish, Welsh. <laughs> but really, you know, back then they did not intermarry like today. So the Jews kind of kept very uh, among themselves. So that's why uh, I'm so Jewish. Now, what does it mean to be Jewish? So I'm just going to give you a brief, just a little understanding of where I'm coming from. Growing up in secular America, um, I went to Hebrew school. I had a bar mitzvah. I learned to read Hebrew and read it for an hour and didn't know what I was saying, but read from the Torah. Um, and pretty much the one thing that came out of being Jewish, I did know this one thing, that the Bible said that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. But I kept asking myself, I'm 13 years old at the time, but what does it mean to be chosen? Chosen for what? And that was never explained to me. And of course, the questions were, were we chosen to be persecuted with anti-Semitism or chosen to be in the Holocaust? Or are we chosen to take over Hollywood or become lawyers or make money? Didn't know until, oh, and pretty much, you, you know the Christians that go to church on Christmas and Easter? Okay, I was kind of that kind of Jewish person. So we, we had Passover and we had Hanukkah and then we put the menorah away and then we lived our lives out in the world, secular like everybody else, just kind of normal Really, I had no relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No personal relationship. Didn't understand what it meant. I read the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Didn't really, it didn't totally make sense um, until, until I was 47 years old. I came to Calvary Chapel. I started reading the New Testament, and I saw the fulfillment. I saw who Jesus was. I read the Gospels. I read Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, uh, Hebrews, and then... God opened my heart, opened my eyes, and I saw it. This is the Jewish Messiah. And I saw the plan for Israel, the Jewish people, and for the whole world, how God wants to use Yeshua, Jesus, to bring everyone to heaven, all those who will believe. So the plan of salvation. That changed my life radically. I was, like I say, I was 47 years old. Um, well, enough about me, but I just wanted you to have that background. Now let's start the teaching. Okay, tonight, you know the date. It's April 5th. 2003. But on the Jewish calendar, it's the, when, at sunset anyway, it'll be the 14th day of Nisan, and the year, it's not 2023, it's 5,783. So the Jews have had a long history with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, and that's when, so tonight, when the sun goes down, as we're finishing up tonight, Passover is going to begin. As we go over the feast, we'll cover the history, how it's prophetic, how it points to Jesus, and hopefully you'll receive personal application as well. So if, some, if God speaks to you, that's what you write down. 
First thing I want to make a point of is, though, that Passover is not a made-up tradition. Even though it is a tradition, it's a biblical feast. It's a feast of the Lord. It was created by God himself, and it's discussed over and over again in both the Old and the New Testaments. It's an ancient feast. It goes all the way back to the time of the Exodus, 3,500 years ago. And Jews have celebrated this festival in every time and in every place since then, even secretly in Nazi concentration camps during the Holocaust. I don't know what they were able to use for food or whatever. They did it by memory, but they actually celebrated Passover. They celebrated God and the freedom from bondage in Egypt while they were being tortured in concentration camps. Very hard to imagine. The festival represents deliverance. The blood sacrifice of lambs was used by God to free the Jewish people after 400 years of bondage. Now, look at how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. There was that 400 years of bondage in Egypt. Then there was a 400-year period of silence between the Hebrew Scriptures and the beginning when John the Baptist came. No Scripture. God did not speak. But then, here comes uh, John the Baptist, John the Immerser in the spirit of Elijah, part, the last of the Old Testament prophets. You might think it was the first of the New Testament, but he announces the coming of Messiah. Amazing. Uh, and he frees us from the bondage of sin. So the Passover feast, which, which we're going to show the elements of it here, um, it foreshadows the Lord's table, communion, and Messiah's death. Now, this raises a very interesting question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> when did the church stop celebrating Passover. I mean, Jesus celebrated. That's when he died, you know, he died rose again. When, when did this Easter thing come about? So it's kind of interesting. Uh, in the year 329 A.D., there was the Council of Nicaea, and the Roman ruler Constantine um, made Catholicism or Christianity the state religion at the time. They had this big council, and you've probably heard they came up with some very good things. They 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 documented very well the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the dual nature of Jesus as fully God, fully man. But unfortunately, they also went astray in one direction. So I, I have to share this with you. You may be aware of it or you may not. They decided that the Jews were horrible people because they didn't accept Jesus overall. Of course, they, I think they forgot that Jesus was Jewish. But let me just give you one quote. It appeared an unworthy thing that in the celebration of this most holy feast... We should follow the practice of the Jews who have impiously defiled their hands with enormous sin and are therefore deservedly afflicted with blindness of soul. Let us have nothing in common with the detestable Jewish crowd, for we have received from our Savior a different way. So at this point, this sadly began a lot of anti-Semitism in the church. They, they, they defined Easter as a different, a different date than Passover to make sure they would not coincide, and they, they stopped celebrating Passover. All the early followers of, of Jesus, Yeshua, were Jewish, and they, Jesus celebrated Passover, they celebrated Passover. So it, it's kind of sad. But let's get back to Passover. Hopefully you know the story of Exodus, Exodus chapters 11 and 12. So the, I'll, I'll just summarize. So the Jewish people have been living in Egypt for 400 years. They're slaves. They've been building those pyramids. God sends Moses to free his people. Pharaoh resisted, and God sent 10 plagues to the Egyptians over the Egyptians and their false gods. But you know, Pharaoh was very stubborn. He hardened his heart. But finally, the 10th plague, the angel of death was going to pass through the land and kill the firstborn of every family and all their cattle. But now, God gave a specific, a very specific plan 
and in my mind, a very weird plan. But this is how he was going to protect his chosen people, the Jewish people who trusted in the true and living God. Here's the plan. First, each family was to take a male old lamb. It had to be perfect without spot or blemish. They had to take it from the flock and observe it for four days to make sure it was actually perfect. Note, you didn't go to the grocery store to buy the lamb. This had to be your lamb from your flock that your children played with and that you, you know, they were your, your animals. A costly innocent was going to have to die. Now, as the sun went down, there was a public gathering and the lambs were slaughtered. Now, I want you to picture this. It happened, this is not like a ceremony, you do one lamb and it's symbolic. Even that's pretty gross, if you think about it. No, there were probably, I've heard everywhere from 30,000 people at that time to 2 million people. I don't know the exact numbers, somewhere in between. Uh, historians aren't sure. But think of the tens of thousands of lambs being brought together, being slaughtered, the blood being collected. Okay, and then here's what God told the people to do. Take the, a bucket of the blood from your lamb, go back to your house, and paint it on the door frame of your house. Every house. And it was very specific, not just put some blood on there. It was put it on the lentil, on the top, and on the sides. I'm going to demonstrate this, and then we're going to talk about some symbolism and some things that God just showed me. As a matter of fact, it's not even in my notes. But um, don't worry, it's not real blood. Okay? No lambs were killed. Got to get a little, little messy up here. And I want to thank Tim Tierce and his team for the amazing ancient door frame they built. It looks, it looks very authentic. And it's nice and, it's nice and short. The Jewish people aren't typically tall. <laughs> he told me he made it my, my size so I could reach... This is important. I want you to picture this. All right, enough blood. Imagine that. Here's the thing. They were to go inside there, and obey God. What God showed me today, I was meditating on this before I came here. Picture the Egyptians. Okay, the Jews were their slaves, so they were their masters. They wanted to make sure these people weren't riding. What were they doing? And all of a sudden, this one night, all these people came out and were slaughtering lambs. They must have thought they were going insane. Okay, and then they go back and they start painting the blood on their, on their, on their doorframe. The Egyptians must have thought, what is happening here? But then God told me, think of it from the Jewish perspective. When Moses told the people, the angel of death is coming, there's going to be death throughout the land, but we're going to be safe. God told me what to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to paint blood on our door, doorposts. The people must have thought Moses was crazy. And so here's, here's what God spoke to me today. I hope this is for you or for somebody out there. It was definitely for me. We don't have to understand God. We just have to hear him clearly and obey Amen? Amen. So they were told, 
You know, when you, know, when you paint the blood on the doorposts, you go in here and you stay. And then all night, death was happening, wailing was happening, but they were sheltered, protected by the blood. Now, I want to show you some amazing symbolism that goes with this. I have a slide, hopefully, of the blood on the doorposts. We have the slide? Ah, perfect. On the left is a Hebrew word. Do anyone know what that word is? Well, I know the fines know. That word is, is chai. It's spelled C-H-A-I, like, like chai tea, but in, you have to say chai. Can someone say that? Chai. Good job. Okay, that means life. Like lechayim, to life, it's a toast. The main letter that looks like that, the doorpost, look at the blood on the door. Look at that letter. Do you see it? It's a picture. They were painting the word life. They, they didn't know how to read. They were painting life on the door. This is, in here is life. And what does the Bible say? Life is in the blood. Okay, so it all ties together. So God promised that the angel of death would come over the land, killing the firstborn of every household, but if it saw the blood with the word life on the doorpost, the angel would pass over and not kill in that house. So that's how the festival of Passover uh, began. The, the, the parallel with the crosses should be obvious, that the blood of our lamb, the, the perfect lamb, protects us not only from, from death, but from, from eternal death and from sin. Okay, let's talk about the festival. It's actually two festivals. Uh, Passover is a one-day feast, and it's followed by what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which goes for seven days. But today, it kind of blurred together. It's just called Passover. Now, God told the Jewish people this was to be an everlasting memorial for all time, and it is the, the oldest continuously celebrated festival in existence today. So here's, here's the scripture. Exodus 12, 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And the Jewish people have been faithfully doing that for 3,500 years. Passover, think about it. It was celebrated in the, in the Sinai wilderness one year after the Israelites left Egypt. That was in Numbers chapter 9. It was celebrated as the Jewish people entered the land of Israel. That was in Joshua chapter 5. It was celebrated in both the time of King Hezekiah and, and King Josiah. That's in 2 Chronicles and in 2 Kings. It was celebrated after the return of the Babylonian captivity. And we see it a lot in Jesus' time. Just read uh, John chapter 11. And 3,500 years after the Exodus, the Jewish people tonight are celebrating Passover still faithfully as God told them to. The as a matter of fact, the deliverance of God's people from bondage is so significant that God changed the religious calendar. It, he reset the calendar that now is now the first month of the year. Uh, I have a slide for that. Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It's not only such an important holiday, it resets the calendar on the religious calendar, but also God gave an alternative date one month later. So say you were ritually unclean, say you were ill and couldn't make it to Passover, say um, you were out of town, away, you can do it a month later and celebrate it. But the Jews must celebrate this holiday every single year. It's very important to God, and it's important to the Jewish people. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly explain the Passover Seder or the Passover meal. A Seder means order. It's the order of the meal. It's a whole scripted thing. We're going we're to go through that briefly. Um, now, I have a pun here, <laughs> pun intended. There's two flavors of Seders, okay? 
there's a traditional Jewish Seder in a traditional Jewish home. They don't, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, so there's no mention of Jesus at all. Then if you're a Jew who believes in Jesus like me, uh, or if you're a Christian, you see Jesus all through the Seder. So there are, are Messianic Seders, uh, the, the order of the meal. I'll, since we're a Christian church and I'm a believer, I'm going to weave in the parts about Jesus. But it's very important to understand. If you go to a Jewish home, they invite you to their Seder. Please don't jump in and go, oh, don't you see Jesus there? That would be pretty rude. Okay? We, we have other ways to witness to Jews. We have to pray, and we can talk about that if you want to do Jewish evangelism, which is, which is very important. Um, but I will point out the, the Messianic elements. Now, we're not going to actually do a Seder. I hope you're not disappointed. But a Seder takes like three to four hours, okay? Um, there's prayers, there's lighting of candles, there's drinking of wine, uh, there's a lengthy narrative discussion, there's singing, there's a large meal. I'm sorry, uh, Shelley wasn't able to cook for all of you. Um, but, and we don't have three hours. But I'm going to go through the highlights of, of a Seder so that you'll understand. So before you can have a Seder at your house, first of all, you have to prepare the house, so, so this is even beforehand. And what this involves is cleaning and removing all traces of chametz. Can you say that? Chametz. Come on, Sebastian. Chametz. You can do it. All right. You kind of spit when you say that, don't you? Um, chametz is leaven. Okay? It's any food product containing wheat, barley, rye, oats, or spelt. This prohibition uh, also comes from Exodus. We have it on the slide. Throughout the seven days of Passover, no leavened bread shall be found with you, and no leaven shall be found in all your territory. So we're going to be talking about matzah. I'm sure you guys have heard about matzah or unleavened bread as part of the ceremony. But it's important to remember first symbolically what leaven represents. Remember Jesus' parable of the leaven, uh, Matthew chapter 16? He talks about the spiritual pride and the hypocrisy of, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he calls it leaven. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So now we're going to talk about the order of the Passover Seder. Now, there are many variations of Seders, but they all follow a certain flow. And the flow is dictated by something called the Haggadah. Can you say that? Haggadah. You're going to learn some Hebrew today. Accents always on the last syllable. Haggadah. Um, and the Haggadah means the telling. So this is the, this is the telling of the story of the Exodus. It's the telling of how the Jews were freed. Now, we know from Scripture that the Jews in Jesus' time, they celebrated Passover. Unfortunately, um, we don't have written Haggadahs from that time period. Don't forget, the Jewish, uh, a lot of oral tradition. So they, 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 they learned the Scripture by memory. They passed it on to their children by memory. They passed on the order of the Seder, and they repeated it. But we have, Seder, we have Haggadahs from the Middle Ages, and pretty ancient ones. And pretty much the modern ones today follow the flow of the ones uh, from the Middle Ages. It's the basic details. Uh, I have some, I have some uh, Haggadahs here. Do we have a slide of that? Put one up. Yeah, here are some here. But I want to I show you a couple things about these. And there are a lot of variations. You can, you can order them online. You can get fancy ones. You can get inexpensive ones. Publix will give you a free one. You can download them from ministries. There's, Haggadahs out the wazoo. As a matter of fact, if, if you're familiar with um, ChatGPT, that AI thing everyone's talking about lately, they, it just wrote a Haggadah. The pictures are amazing. I heard the Haggadah is not perfect, but they're using it for everything. But what I wanted to show you is the two flavors. So, for example, this is a, this is a, a Messianic Haggadah from a, a Christian ministry or maybe a Jewish ministry, but a believers. Here is uh, 
the Maxwell House Haggadah, which they've been making for 80 years. You can often get at the grocery store. But the other thing I wanted to explain to you is, oh, here's a nice fancy one with uh, colored pictures, artwork, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I picked that up in Boston. But what I want to explain to you is, so you won't get confused, Hebrew reads from right to left. Most of these Haggadahs have Hebrew and English. If it's a traditional Haggadah, Hebrew books open from what we would call the back, okay? And they read this way. So if you can see this, this is the front cover. This is the first page, and it turns this way from back to front because the Hebrew goes from right to left, okay? So you'll get very confused. You'll pick it up and look at the, the back and think it's the front cover, and it's like the back of the book, and you, you can't read it. And So some of, the, some of the Haggadahs go forward. Some of them go backwards. I just want you to be aware of that. Um, Okay, now, let's, let's come over to the table, the seating. Usually, there'd be a big table with the whole family, relatives come. The head of the household would be at the, at the head of the table at the center. Um, to the right is a place for the youngest child. To the left is a special plate and a special wine cup for Elijah in case he shows up. So that's always a, a place reserved for Elijah. Um, the mother of the house... Uh, the woman of the house usually uh, begins with the lighting of the candles, um, but to save time, I will do it. Oh, and I got, just so you know, special permission from the fire marshal. He was very gracious that we could light the candles as long as I blow them right out afterwards. Um, normally, we're not allowed to do this because of the code. Put that match in water. Okay. So, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and whose name we light the festival lights. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, asher kedishonu b'mitzvasav, v'tzivanu l'chad l'kner shel Shabbat v'shel yom tov. Okay? So that's the Hebrew. <laughs> I'm going to blow these out. <laughs> but thank you uh, for letting us do that. The rabbis always taught that the mother should light the candles, a woman. Remember, it was through a Jewish woman that the world received Messiah. So that's kind of cool. He is the true light of the world. Then we have four cups of wine. Okay, so let me... Oh, this is grape juice, by the way. Tastes better than some Jewish wine. So there are four special cups. Each one has a significance. And, of course, there's, there's a prayer over everything, so it's, I'll just do the English. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Now, the prayer goes on. It's all scripted, but they thank God for choosing us, for sanctifying us with the commandments, for giving us rest in the Sabbath, for delivering us from Egypt, of course, and preserving and sustaining the Jewish people. So that's all part of the prayer. And then they drink the wine. That's enough. Um, and then the, 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 um, the, the story of Passover begins with questions. Now, this is a very, very Jewish thing. Well, if, you, if you read the Scriptures, you'll see Jesus often was asked a question. He answered the question with a question. He, he asked over 300 questions in the Scriptures through the Gospels. And um, usually it's the youngest child of the house who, who reads these questions from the Haggadah. There, it's called the Four Questions. 
Uh, and the, the Haggadah usually goes, I wasn't going to go into this, but I'll do it very briefly, goes into a description of different types of children that you might have in your house reading the, reading the questions. They talk about the young child who is so young, he doesn't even know how to ask the questions. Then they talk about a simple child who will do a very simple version of the questions. Then they talk about a wicked child. Very sarcastic. Some of you, you know, if you have kids, it happens. And then they, then they talk about the wise child. And I, the reason I wanted to include this, I was thinking about this. When we go out and share the gospel, when we share the good news, when we witness to people, don't we find these kinds of people? <laughs> right? Amen. Okay. So we begin with the questions. Um, here's the first question. There are four questions. Why is this night different than all other nights? On all other nights, we eat either leavened bread or matzah, but on this night, we only eat matzah. Question number two. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs? Question three. On all other nights, we never think of dipping even once. Why on this night do we dip twice? And question four. On all other nights, everyone sits up straight at the table. Why on this night do we all recline? And you, you, you know the picture of Jesus with the disciples, low tables reclining. Here are just very brief answers to the questions, but you can do your homework if you want more detail. We eat matzah because the Jews had to flee Egypt in haste and didn't have time for the bread to rise. Number two, the bitter herbs remind us of the bitterness of being in slavery. Number three, the dipping of the parsley is to remind us that spring is coming. There will be fresh life. And the sweet haroset, that's a, a mixture, uh, is a sign of hope. Yes, it's like the mortar that they used to put the bricks together. The slavery was hard, but the Jewish people knew that sweet redemption was coming. That was their hope. And the reason they recline at the table is because they are free men. Okay? Free men can sit and relax and enjoy. So now we're going to get to the, the part that's good, I think, the food. Uh, first of all, you have to do a ritual washing of the hands. I think we have a slide of the two-handed pitcher. There's a whole process to wash yourself so the, clean, the, the unclean side doesn't make the, the clean side dirty. You go this handle, that handle. I don't even know the order. But that's, if you see these in the Middle East, that's a two-handed pitcher. Before going to worship they, or to do a ceremonial meal, you use that. Okay. Then you say a prayer thanking God for the food. Very similar to the previous prayers. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the earth. And then we have what we call the decorative Seder plate. Every Jewish home has one of these. You could use a regular platter, but it, almost everyone has one. So here is a Seder plate. It has little indentations with pictures, Hebrew and English, showing the symbolic food that's going to be part of the Seder. Now, you can get... Um, this can be made of brass. It can be made of silver. You can go to Israel and get pottery that's hand-painted for $200, or you can do what I did. It's plastic, Amazon, $9.99, <laughs> and it's made in China. <laughs> but it, it, actually, it actually looks pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, so get your Seder plate, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Cost-efficient, yeah. Um, so there are elements. There are different elements that are on the plate and are symbolic during the meal. So the most important one is the roasted shank bone of a lamb. That represents the lamb that was sacrificed. Now, my grandmother, who was, was pretty observant, she lit the Shabbat candle. Oh, by the way, these, these candlesticks are my great-grandmothers from the old country, these brass candlesticks. Um, and I remember my grandmother, 
uh, lighting the candles and saying the Hebrew prayers. Um, but she wouldn't mess with a lamb. She'd, eh, I'm not going to with a butcher, get a, a lamb bone. She'd use a chicken bone. She said, good enough, good enough. Um, then there are the bitter herbs. Those are made from beets and horseradish. And when you, when you eat, you take the matzah, you take some of the bitter herbs. When you eat that, your nose runs, your eyes run. And it, 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 I remember that. It definitely um, reminds you of slavery. <laughs> You're a great audience. Thank you. Are you laughing at Sebastian? I hope so. Um, okay, then you have the harosis, which actually tastes pretty good. It's chopped nuts, apples, cinnamon, a bit of wine. Uh, it's the mortar they put the bricks together, but it's, it's still sweet because of our trust in God. And finally, this is going to be another interesting part uh, besides the matzah, but finally is the carpus. A carpus is parsley. And you dip the parsley in the salt water and you eat it. There's a lot of symbolism in this part of the Seder. So first of all, Passover is a spring festival. Uh, it's a spring holiday. The parsley reminds us that winter is, is over and the earth is coming back to life. Second of all, Tasting the, the salt water through the parsley reminds us of the bitter tears of the Jews while they were in slavery. Ah, but there's more. Uh, and I have a slide. Do you have the slide of the parsley and the hyssop? Yes. Parsley, there, there's parsley on the left, hyssop on the right. Hyssop is much larger. It's a bush. But do you see the similarity, how they look very similar? Hyssop was the branch. Let me talk about hyssop for a minute. Hyssop was the branch used to paint the blood on the doorposts to protect the Jewish people from the angel of death. So they didn't have paintbrushes. They actually used hyssop. And hyssop was also used ritually in the temple when they splashed the blood on the mercy, when the high priest took the blood from the altar, went into the inner sanctum and splashed the blood on, once a year on the mercy seat, on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. He used hyssop to put the blood on the mercy seat. And finally, from a messianic perspective, don't forget, when Jesus was on the cross, and he was thirsty. He was dying of thirst. They used hyssop. They dipped it in vinegar and wine or something and raised it up to him, to his lips. That was hyssop, okay? So if you dig into the scriptures, there's even a bigger connection here. There's an interesting passage in Romans chapter 3. I know you're all familiar with it. It's talking about God's righteousness through faith. For all have sinned. It's 323. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But context is always the key. It's a bigger passage here. The sentence begins back in 3.22 with, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, no difference. Who's that referring to? Jews and Gentiles. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a, a, a Jew or a Gentile, all have sinned. There's only one way to salvation. It's the same. And it gets more interesting. If you look at verses 24 and 25, I was looking at this. It says, we're freely justified by grace through redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation. Anyone know what that means? It's not a word we use, right? It's a, it's a fancy intellectual uh, Greek word. The word is hilasterion. The interesting thing is, most English, it means uh, to be uh, conciliated, um, to appease, to make peace with. It's kind of Bible college stuff. But, but here's the point I want you to understand. The actual word, if you look up the definition, the actual word means mercy seat. It's not that intellectual term about reconciliation and all. It's saying Jesus is our mercy seat where the blood was splashed on, the, on, 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 it, on him for us. Amen? Yeah. It's, it's very powerful. A few, a few uh, 
Translations do say that, but most don't. They most use the fancy word. But literally, Jesus is our mercy seat. I hope this is a vivid picture when you see the blood and you understand how this frees us. There's one more thing on the, on the, uh, the, the Seder plate. I think I have a slide of it. A roasted egg, a cracked and roasted egg. If I were doing a Seder, I'd leave this out. It, it makes no sense. Nobody knows where this comes from. Um, probably from the Middle Ages, it might be a fertility ritual. You know, you ask two Jews a question, you get three answers. I've seen a million interpretations. <laughs> they don't know how this came into being. So it really, it, but it's, it's been there for a while. It's, it's controversial. Um, so there's, there's more wine. There's a pillow for the leader so he can rest, because I say this goes on for like three hours. There's, now there's three pieces of matzah. Now we're going to get into matzah. This is, this is good stuff. So I brought matzah, got it Publix. Okay, if you, they always have matzah. It's on the international food aisle. If you, there's salted and unsalted. If you're actually going to, or, or lightly salted. If you're actually going to eat it, get the lightly salted. Tastes a lot better. And, and actually, this is kosher, not only kosher, uh, but it's kosher for Passover. If you, if you want to read the label, some, sometimes it's just regular kosher. It's a, it's a whole racket, but this is, the rabbis, they get a payback somehow, you know. This, all right. So what is matzah? It's unleavened bread. It's bread with any, no yeast, and therefore it doesn't rise. It's like a cracker. So I'm holding up matzah here. I hope you can all see it. See it on the screen? Okay, holding up for the camera. Great. Um, and actually, if you get the Calvary app, if they did this, I hope they did, I put in a YouTube video, four minutes. You can see the making of matzah. Very interesting process. Um, also, in, in Israel, this is, this is made you know, by machinery, so they can put it in a box. It's all the same size. It, there's handmade matzah. I've seen pictures um, that's round like a pizza, but still not, not, not risen. It's, it's flat. Okay, now remember, um, Pharaoh kept negotiating with the Jewish people. About, with Moses, about, you know, Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. They went back and forth. The plagues got worse. Eventually, he said, get out of town. This is enough already. Um, and they had to leave quickly. So they didn't have time for the bread to rise. The, the tradition is they literally put the matzah on their shoulders. And as they were going through the desert, the heat of the sun uh, baked the matzah. So that, that's the tradition. Um, and the Lord commands us in Exodus chapter 12 to eat unleavened bread, as I mentioned before. So here's what you do with the matzah. This gets very interesting. You have a matzah tosh, a matzah bag, and it has three sections in it. And you put three pieces of matzah in there. But the middle piece, the second piece, uh, it's called the afikoman. The history of that word is interesting. No one really knows for sure. But the second piece is broken and put in a special bag and hidden in the house. And then the children go and look for it. And whoever finds it, it's a great joy. And they bring it back. And then they get probably money. They give them a little gift or something. Um, and why do they do this? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> However, from a messianic perspective, think about it. Father, Son, Spirit. The second piece of matzah, broken broken, my body broken for you, wrapped in linen, hidden, found, revealed, great joy, Messiah. It's there. It's there. Very exciting. Um, 
But again, the matzah itself is even symbolic. If you look at it very carefully, you'll see the stripes. I, I hope if you go buy some matzah or afterwards come up and have a piece, I'll share it. Um, just remember from Isaiah 53, that passage, right? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Amen? And listen to Paul. Listen to uh, Rabbi Paul, Shaul, what he said about the inauguration of the new covenant at that last supper, which, of course, was a Passover Seder. And, and meditate on this. Imagine Jesus at the last supper. It's a Seder. He's breaking the matzah, and he knows he's talking about his own body about to be crucified. So here's, uh, you've heard this passage. Think about it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Bread, that's what your translation says. It would have been matzah. Uh, took matzah, and when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Very powerful. Now let's talk about the, uh, the cups, the wine cups. Oh, and by the way, these cups were given to me. I have to tell you this. You guys know Bob Russell and his wife, Kelly Russell? Kelly's mom, before she passed away, gave me these and said she wanted me to use them at a Seder. Pretty nice. So anyway, um, so there are four cups. The first cup, this is the cup of sanctification. We're set apart. We're called to be separated to the Lord. Um, it's a joyful cup. It reminds us of our, our deliverance. It reminds us of our salvation. We always drink the first cup. Now let's talk about the second cup. This is a cup of judgment. You don't drink this cup. It's not a joyful cup. Here's what you do. Let me sit down. Try not to spill anything. Here's what you do with the second cup. You, recite, you, dip, you dip in the wine, or the, representing the blood, and you recite the ten plagues. And you splash it on, the, on a napkin, on a cloth napkin. Water turned to blood. Frogs. Gnats, flies, livestock, boils, locust, hail, darkness, and finally, death of the firstborn. Now, this is the serious, this is telling us about the seriousness of God, of Pharaoh calling himself to be a God, and how seriously God takes that, that idolatry, and, and, and his disobedience to not free the Jewish people, as God commanded through Moses. Now, it's very important to notice that um, the Jews were spared from this plague, from this wrath, but as, and as, of course, as believers, Jesus' blood frees us from the wrath of God. But it's also important to understand the Jews don't celebrate with this cup. They're not happy about what happened to the Egyptians. It's, it's a serious cup. We don't drink from that cup. Now, the third cup, ah, third cup. This is a great cup. This is probably the most important cup. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that was used when a bridegroom Asked to marry his bride. Hey, Shelly, where are you? There you are. Okay. Um, Jesus is the groom from heaven, and the church is the bride of Christ. And at, this, at the Seder, at the Last Supper, Jesus used this cup to teach his disciples about communion, to remember me. Look back. Remember me when you take this cup. They drank from the cup. He did not. He said, this is the new covenant, I will drink this with you in heaven. 
at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm waiting for the Jewish people to come back to me as a whole and say, Baruch haba b'shem adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The second cup, he will be drinking this in the future. Um, the fourth cup is a joyful cup. It's the cup of praise. Now, with the fourth cup, the disciples would drink it. By then, they've had four cups of wine. So, you know, they're pretty happy. Um, and they would, they would leave the house praising God for his deliverance. They would sing the psalms, the last song, psalms in the Bible. Those were actually to be sung. I don't know the melodies, but they would sing them as they go up uh, to the temple. And uh, there's a traditional song. I don't How are we doing on time? I'm not going to sing it. Um, but, there's, but I'm going to teach a little bit of it to you. There's a traditional song that's used today called Dayenu, okay? Put, put up the word Dayenu. So the, okay, Dayenu. Reads from right to left. Dayenu. It, and it means it would have been enough. Okay, I want you guys to say that. Dayenu. It would have been enough. Okay, so I'll tell you about this song. This song is a back and forth song. It's got a little kid's melody. Da 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 da. It goes on and on. Um, but the point is, the, the leader of the song talks about God did this for us, and that would have been enough. Dayenu. But then he did this. Oh, that would have been enough. But then he did this. And that would have been enough. It's, it's, it's our, how he's exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. How God is so gracious and merciful. And we should have that, that attitude of thankfulness to him at all times. It would have been enough if he just did this. I mean, he, he, he gave you life. That's supernatural. If, even if you're crippled and walking around in, in pain, you're, you're alive. That's a miracle. Okay, but most of us are doing pretty good, you know? So, I mean, every breath is from him. Every heartbeat is from him. So we should be thankful. So it starts out, if only he had taken us out of Egypt and not judged the Egyptians. Dayenu. You're supposed to say it. Dayenu. It would have been enough. Okay. Um, if he had judged their gods but not slain the firstborn. Dayenu. It would have been enough. If he had divided the Red Sea but not allowed them to pass. Dayenu. It would have been enough. And it goes on and on about the, the armies, about, about the wilderness. He fed them with the manna. Um, if he, he gave us Sabbath, that would have been enough. But he gave us the Torah. Um, but he, he led us to Israel. And, and he consecrated the temple. Let's say it one more time. Dayenu. It would have been enough. So that's the traditional song. Of course, as a, as a Messianic believer, as a Christian, we would add sacrificing all. The, the, our Messiah, the, the, the Lamb of God, giving his life for us, that would have been enough, obviously. Dayenu. There is one more cup. Usually it's different than the other cups. It's a special cup. Pay a little extra for that. Okay? Nice silver cup. Actually, Glenn Vink lent me this. Very nice. Um, on our security team. Um, that's the cup for Elijah. And they always set a place for Elijah in the hope that he will come. And, and, and this, of course, we know John the Baptist already came in the spirit of Elijah. Messiah has come the first time already, but they've missed that. And it's interesting. Today, I just read in the Jerusalem Post um, that they're going to have a Seder at Rikers Prison for the first time ever. But they told the rabbi, what, what normally happens at the Seder with the cup for Elijah, the youngest child goes and they, they walk to the front of the house. They open the door. They look outside. Did Elijah come? Did Elijah come? Oh, no, he didn't come. They told the rabbi in the prison, they will not be allowed to open the door and look outside. You're going to have to modify the Seder for that. Not happening. So anyway, so that, that's that. Um, 
But the bottom line is, my challenge, I have a challenge to you, because there's always going to be a takeaway. So most of you are Gentiles. I, I know a few Jewish people with me here, right? Um, but my, my challenge is from Paul, from Romans, where he said, remember, your mission is to make the Jewish people jealous, to, to bring them back to their Messiah. You, you've been grafted in, but, but so many of them have missed it. Don't be prideful. Um, and don't forget, Jesus is waiting for his people to come back to him and say, oh, we missed him. You are here. Ah, oh, we'll come back to you. And then that'll be the second coming. So remember this. The Jewish people have been keeping the Passover for thousands of years, commemorating their deliverance from Egypt. Je Jesus kept the Passover with his disciples, and his blood delivers us from the bondage of sin. And we as believers, both Jews and Gentiles, will celebrate Passover in heaven with Jesus. Listen to Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 15 and 16. I'm going to read it from the complete Jewish uh, Bible translation. I think we have it. And he said to them, I have really wanted so much to celebrate this Seder with you before I die. For I tell you, it is certain that I will not celebrate it again until it is given its full meaning in the kingdom of God. Ooh, yeah. So I hope I've given you a little, some shades of meaning. Uh, remember, every time we take communion, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Paul tells us that. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He's telling them to be pure, to be holy. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I have this on the screen too. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So let, let's celebrate our redemption. As the Jewish people have been saying for thousands of years, Lashana Haba Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem. Thank you for your time and attention. It's been a real privilege. I hope this has edified you. I want to close uh, with uh, the Aaronic blessing, Moses' brother, Aaron, uh, from Numbers chapter 6. So let, let's all stand. If you can. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you very much. If anybody here has not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, come on down. Today's the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? All right? All right. I'll be down here to... We're dismissed. I'll be down here to answer any questions or to meet you. Thank you.